Hey everyone and welcome uh, to another one of my Auckland Graffiti History Chats and today we'll be talking with Deep One from TMD, very good friend of mine, the original TMD documentarian. I'm just going to send him a request right now so just bear with me for a second. Yo! Yo! <laughs> welcome, welcome man. <laughs> Thank you. We, we, we did it and it was kind of smooth. I just want to quickly yep. plug your zine. That you're releasing in time for the TMD show, uh, which is opening up uh, on the 27th uh, of this month down at the Douse uh, in Lower Hutt, which we're about to make that journey. Dude, thank you. You dropped this off yesterday. I just missed you. Um, it's amazing. And I just want to say it's really cool, the dedication to Charles that you you made in the inside cover. Oh. I think I think that's really awesome, and I think it's a really good place to start the interview. So, um, do you want to talk about how you first started do documenting graffiti in Auckland City? Oh, okay, we've lost them. <laughs> I'll send him another request. What What would these be without an awkward, uh, awkward intro from me? Not too good at just talking to myself on the old uh, IG live. But uh, yeah, he should should be with us in a second. Hopefully, he's not having issues with his phone. He said his phone phone's like a little prone to just switching itself off. So let's see. Um, in the meantime, I can talk a little bit more about it. So, like Jamie, a uh, very old friend of mine, Deep One, uh, he's the original TMD documentarian, as I mentioned. He uh, has been taking photos since about '97 or '98. Uh, the majority of his uh, photos um, all shot on film, especially between the period of like 97, 98 um, through to about 2002 when we bought a digital camera, um, which he used, which was actually kind of a bit of a sad spot, kind of there's a patch where a lot of the documentation was like very low res, but um, we've been sorting through all the archives. Here he is. Sorry, Yo. someone tried calling no. me. Oh, no. <laughs> what happened again? No, it's all good. Off, it's all good. I turned my notifications off, so hopefully it won't. Okay, cool, bro. So, Carry on. <laughs> so in 1997 or 1998 is when you started taking photos of the scene, right? Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. How, how did that happen? Tell us the story, because I know it's a really cool story. So, um, so yeah, I, I was pretty much... Um, trying to keep Charles, that one's work alive, really. Mm -hmm. So I used to borrow my mum's disposable camera mm -hmm. when she had them. Yeah. And go and shoot on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of where that started. The, the first one, the first time, like, you told me a story about driving down the uh, southern motorway and seeing a big flash of colour to the left of you, and you might have been in a slightly altered state at the time yeah so that that was a few years later um mm. i think I, I was taking photos then i had a mm. camera by then but it was fat one's piece that got me hooked mm. um yeah probably didn't help we were on lsd <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah we um i remember i was with my bro khan and and my bro lucas heat and shucks um Guys, I went to high school with good close friends of mine. Um, yeah, we wanted to get closer to the wall because we'd always see the wall driving down the motorway. So this one night, we decided to 
check out the wall up close and um yeah park around Newmarket somewhere and walk to the wall and that piece had me hooked mm. honestly the, the fill mm -hmm. it's kind of like organic I, mm. I, I can't he was doing those it. he was doing those like vertical fades and he used to use like a lot of his old scrap colors you know and there was a lot of really scrubby vertical fades and he'd have like 50 colors in the fill right yeah very conducive with being in an altered state a lot to look at yeah it reminded mm -hmm. me of rust when when mm -hmm. water and metal cause rust to you know make a, a mark That's yeah like a pattern like that yeah, yeah yeah totally i thought I, yeah i mean that was definitely a distinct error i mean and charles was the guy at that point i mean i i don't think that you know i bring up charles a lot in this in these discussions Obviously, he's very central to TMD and he's very central to us. But, you know, for, for a lot of younger people, you know, like, I don't know if they necessarily understand the extent of what he actually did, like how prolific he was in that moment. Like, maybe you could talk a little bit about just how, you know, prolific he was, how he was just everywhere, wasn't he? Yeah. I might go on to, like, meeting Charles. So I first met Charles around... I was going to high school. Mm. We didn't go to the same schools. He went to Massey. I was mm -hmm. at Rutherford and Tiabatu. We both mm -hmm. lived in Massey. Mm -hmm. I went to Rutherford because that was the the bus was free. Yeah. So yeah, um, that's why we went to Rutherford is because uh, my parents weren't going to pay for bus fares every day. Mm -hmm. Um. But sometimes I'd catch the, the bus up at Royal Heights Shopping Centre, and that's where Charles would catch the bus to Massey. Mm -hmm. And all I remember is a, a, a big kid with pigtails. Um, <laughs> I, I instantly knew he was fat one. It's like, mm. yeah, he was like the talk of the town out west. And mm. so I think before I, I met him, I heard people go, that's fat one. That's that guy fats. So... Mm. It's like I already knew who he was before I met him, but I, I believe I met him at Royal Heights one day. He was with mm. um, my friend John, who wrote Kid J. Mm. He was um, on that course too, the um, the Wall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, the Newland Wall of Fame course. He he was on that course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Charles, man, that dude got up. Yeah. Um, I. Yeah, I, I got into graffiti because of Charles. Yeah. Um, yeah, his his art kind of had a a fat style to it, mm. so to say. Like, you could yeah, tell yeah, yeah. it from, from a mile away. Yeah, yeah. He was the first of our age group, I think, that kind of really sussed a lot of things out. And... Um, you know, he was he was prolific across across everything. I often to say to people to young people particularly, they don't understand that like he was active on the streets, on the on the on the on the motorways, you know, with, with straight tags, roll calls, you know, he, he painted uh you know, he bombed prolifically through a city under multiple names. He was on every legal wall, you know, he painted productions with writers from all around the city, he painted trains and he did a lot of frames. Uh, and he was active at all those. I mean, he really, and he was a, a, a driving force in the scene. He was a guy that would be, he'd be painting with someone from a different part of the city 
every night. So he would call us central kids. He would roll with the kids from south, from east, you know, like he was, he, he just was very hungry, you know. Yes, he was. <laughs> and, and more than one, you know, and, and, and not just in that sense for graffiti, he was a hungry boy. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> he was. So, um, so you started taking photos and you started kind of like working out who everybody was. And then like, as I kind of remember, you just started turning up. Like you, you kind of tracked everybody down, worked out who everybody was. Now we knew each other already because we went, we went like, we had mutual friends and we went to like my high school dance. You went like, you came with like some friends of some friends, some girls that I hung out with and we all went together and it was like a, a really terrible event. And we were spending the whole night working out how to escape. And uh, we, we, I think we bolted out through the kitchen of the Altair center. So right after a big, I was that? forgot about that until you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. but I remember it now. I, I feel uh, like yeah. this is 95 and it wasn't mm -hmm. it the um, after ball or something. No, it was like before the after ball. I think the after ball had been banned because it was like some kid had like died in another town, like at an after ball. And so it was all in the media or whatever. So, and I, I think like um, Fury's cousin, like she like led like a massive protest, like saying, you know, we should be free to leave if we want to leave. And they had locked all the doors and we were locked in the venue. And I think like somehow we worked out how to get out through the kitchen and we ran through the kitchen, all the kitchen staff were like staring at us and we were in our little tuxedos and ball gowns sprinting through the kitchen and out into the city. And we ended up wandering around the city all night drinking and getting up to no good. <laughs> was that good. was the night we met? That was when we first met and I didn't meet you again until 1999. I feel like it was when I was living with Icon and Mean and Misery and everybody in Ponsonby. Do, do you remember me coming um, up to you in, in Glen Eden? You and Tanya were painting? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe it rings a bell. Tanya had painted a chicken, like, shitting an egg. <laughs> and that's Sounds when I right. realized you wrote. I was like, I didn't know you did graffiti. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah I, was, put it together. I was blown away and put two and two together that you were ask you and yeah was, I think that was, would have been I'd say 98 99 it sounds about right I remember you coming around like you you kind of worked out where we lived and you would drop in and uh, I was really confused you know at the time I mean this is just how short-sighted I was I didn't understand how important the documentation side of things was you know, and um, I didn't realize that you had kind of some foresight. This was something really worth doing. You know what I mean? And I was always be like, why? Oh, he's cool. Why does he always want to take photos? And I'm, I'd hear people ask that question a lot. They're like, why is this guy always following us around with a camera? You know, <laughs> but yeah. you, you had a kind of an obsessive, um, an obsessive personality, you know, because you started looking at the details that we weren't looking at. You were looking at things like you were taking photos of all of the extra stuff, the the things I really appreciate now, the paint on our shoes, what shoes were we wearing, what paint products were we using, what did the advertising look like, you know, on the walls around us, you know, like who was hanging out with us at the time, like everything, which was, it's so amazing now that we've been scouring through your archives and, you know, everything's been scanned and we're, we're working on all these projects, this museum project and a book project. 
it's very, very valuable stuff. You know what I mean? Um, so did you have a sense that this was important? And what made you feel that it was important? Not really. To it was? Mm. Not really. It wasn't until that first Disrupt the System in 2000 mm -hmm. with Lumit. Was yeah. that the first Disrupt the System? Sorry, it's all a blur. Yeah. It, no, it was, yeah. Yeah, um, I guess that's when I realised that there's something here. Because mm -hmm. um, I think I remember I took, I managed to get like 13 rolls of film thinking this is enough to cover the day, you know? Mm -hmm. And before half the day was up, it was gone. And I was like, holy shit, what? Yeah. <laughs> how did this happen? And so I had yeah. to go get more film. But mm -hmm. that's when I knew, you know, there's something here. Yeah, yeah. But at first, I guess it was a very selfish move. Like, I was just trying to keep the art alive for myself, really, at mm -hmm. first. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I I didn't set out to be a photographer. It kind of just, you know, after yeah. a few years, I was like, oh, I'm actually a photographer. It's the thing, the thing that was interesting is that you always had, a, like, a... Um an antagonistic kind of personality which comes from I think growing up out west and especially in the 90s and so you didn't mind going into certain situations with your camera your camera kind of gave you license and if every anyone hassled you you know you didn't mind kind of tormenting them back and you end up with a lot of amazing photos of really irate building owners and stuff like that which are, are fantastic yeah yeah <laughs> I blame that on the west yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about West Auckland because TMD has its origins in West Auckland. And so you kind of have a perspective on it growing up out there. I mean, I was back and forth. I was a little bit like between, you know, Central and New Lynn. So not really deep out, you know, Swanson and Ranui and Massey and Henderson and all these areas where you were, these were your stomping grounds. So how would you describe like kind of the, the atmosphere of growing up out there at that, that time in the 90s? Yeah, um, like I, I didn't really know about graffiti. It took mm. a while. Like oh, I'm always late to the party. Like always, whether right. it's music or anything. Um, I'm usually picking it up six months later or a year later. Like mm -hmm. oh, this is cool. When it was mm -hmm. cool, like way before mm -hmm. me picking it up. But mm -hmm. um. There were a lot of taggers at my high school. Mm -hmm. um, the first tag I remember when I was like third form, mm. the first tag I remember seeing everywhere was Mingo. Mingo. And um, I believe he was a member of the Boogeyman from Avondale. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but Mingo, I definitely remember Mingo at high school. Mm -hmm. I don't know what. He was a big island guy. I don't know what he what race he was but he had mm. like bleached uh dreads mm. but I, I just remember everywhere there was mal flamingo mal must have been his girlfriend mm -hmm. so it was like mal with the the new um the roman numeral four ah right yeah 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 with mingo underneath that was everywhere and i was mm -hmm. like what is mal flamingo but i, I learned that who mingo was mm-hmm have you ever heard of Mingo or seen those tags? I, those are, that's not a tag I remember, but, you know, like I was, I mean, I was really kind of like central, you know what I mean, at that time. 
just given that I, I mean, I was late to drive a car and stuff like that. You know, I would go out to New Lynn because my dad was there. Um, so my kind of awareness extended as far as like, you know, like I saw the New Lynn Wall of Fame happening and I saw, you know, both iterations of that wall and I saw a lot of the West writers that were coming into New Lynn and then coming into the city um, to paint, you know. So my awareness of West kind of picks up with the kind of, you know, with like THC and, and, and BC, OK, DFL, you know, our generation of guys, you know, that's kind of my awareness. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot, there's obviously a lot that happened prior to that. But you know, I mean, you, you, it seemed to me that everybody out West kind of knew each other, like, and it seemed like Truce was a, a big connector of people out there. Yeah, I know there were different, definitely different groups of people. There were there were people mm -hmm. in Hendo, people in Swanson, people in Massey, people in Tat. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they all hung out together. Mm. Um, uh, some of the taggers from Rutherford, I'll just go through some names. Um, yeah. So there was Mingo. There was this guy, Decoy, in mm -hmm. Phase 2. I don't know if you know. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote Phase 2. That was very audacious of him. Yeah, there's a funny story <laughs> about Phase 2. It's mm. Apparently, he's the first tagger out of Hamilton to get 200 community hours right. for tagging Hemroid. He wrote Hemroid? <laughs> Another amazing name. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, Decoy and Phase 2 went to Rutherford. And um, they were with another two dudes, um, Demas and Hemp. Mm -hmm. And they were. I remember um, him. Yeah, I think him, Demas, and him were from Henderson. Mm -hmm. um, but they they formed a group called Rugged as Ever, R A E. Mm -hmm. mm. um, but then all all my friends that I hung out with, those guys were a bit older. Or Decoy was a bit older. Mm. But uh, all the guys I hung out with were like um, mature, Berserk, Anian, mm -hmm. Fate, mm -hmm. I Rock. Psych, mm -hmm. Rehulk, mm -hmm. uh, Rannock, and then there's a whole bunch of younger dudes like Albino and all his boys, Castro, Lamac, mm -hmm. Obtain. That might be a yep. tag you might have seen. He, I remember all, yeah, a number of these tags actually. Now you're saying them. Um, Kid J, 007. I think mm -hmm. you know 007. Yep. yep. Uh, Merc Hoods. Hoods mm -hmm. was part of a group called AOH. Yep. And Charles and them, um, they started DFL. Mm. Um, yeah, and there were a few, quite a few taggers from, from my high school. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, do you remember Mac D and Killer B? Yep, I remember they those were, tags too. They didn't go to Rutherford, but they were from Massey. Yep. Um, I didn't really know much of the, like the OK dudes. Mm -hmm. um, I spent most of my my teenage years at the Henderson courts with uh, whacked. Yep. Yeah. He's a, he's a, yep. I didn't realize he wrote until I watched that doco. That, um, right. Like, right. That wall of fame doco. He had a great like, style. And, and yeah. I think he had a particularly a really great throw up. It was like, it was like a one liner, like a, it, like everything was kind of connected, you know? So he didn't like outline each letter individually. It was like he did one big shape and kind of added the, the holes to make the you know and i always loved it you know but he, he 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 was a really integral part of that like group that initial group of west 
Auckland writers that I met, you know, like Charles and Truce, you know, uh, Agent, him, Cracked, you know, Shucker, you know, all those guys. I mean, Shucker's another guy that you, you rolled with a lot, like back then as well, right? Yeah, we weren't buddy buddies, but yeah, a few of my mates had run-ins with him and his mates, but yeah, we always respected each other. But yeah, sometimes <laughs> it was like, oh, your boy, your boy did this and yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I met all those guys later on after discovering um, graffiti. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you kind of remember that moment, like where it kind of transitioned from being like everybody was kind of like on their streets kind of shit and then suddenly people were like piecing, you know, and kind of it seemed like West and it, and I've always kind of maintained that it had a lot to do with that kind of tutelage from, you know, from Daryl and Otis and Dan and Merkster and that and the Wall of Fame project and everything. But they just became very aware and kind of a level above everybody else, our age group and the rest of the city. I mean, it was it was definitely a moment, right? Yeah. Do you, yeah. do you kind of have, do you have recollections at that time? Like kind of like, did, did you know that West was kind of really running, running at that really, time? Like, I, I was working in New Lynn when that, that wall was painted, but I, I wasn't aware of what was happening. Mm. Like, uh, you know, all of a sudden the wall was there and I was like, wow, where did this come from? Um, mm -hmm. But I, had, I knew nothing about what was going down. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember seeing out West some, some anti-tag, I think Charles did an anti-tagging piece behind <laughs> on on the side of Swanton shop somewhere and I remember thinking what's this all about I didn't quite yeah. get it but then I you know I found out years later but uh yeah what was the, what was the story behind that <laughs> behind that piece like what was the story was it because it was part of that course that they were all doing I have no clue I, I oh <laughs> he might not answer that I just remember seeing an anti-tagging like piece that Charles did, and I just thought mm -hmm. that it was weird that it said anti-tagging, but he must have <laughs> done it for for some, something. <laughs> it's so funny because you know they 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 kind of try to lock a lot of those kids into like kind of contracts, you know, saying that basically they wouldn't they wouldn't tag, you know, that they kind of renounce sort of doing the straights and the tags, and they're only going to do the kind of more artistic stuff, and they they made a signet ring. You know, the I've sister, heard about the, this ring. Yeah, you know, the mayor, you know, like said that if you guys kind of do this course and everything, that we're gonna um, uh, give give you a signet ring. And Truce was allowed to design the silver signet ring that they were all gonna get. It was Bob Harvey was the mayor at the time of Waitakere. Was and, it a Wu? Um, a Wu Tang. He designed he, he designed the Wu logo, the Wu Tang logo, and told them that it was a W for Waitakere which the mayor thought was amazing. And then I uh, got them all cast and made. And then he's like, you know, as a sign of solidarity, I'm also going to wear this. So supposedly the mayor of West Auckland was walking around with a woo symbol on his, on his finger and he didn't know what it meant, you know, for, I don't know for how long, but, um, you know, a friend of ours caught up with him recently and asked him, he says he still has it. He still has the ring. So <laughs> the story, it may be true. And that was all truce is doing. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, who who still has the ring? Bob Harvey. Okay, the mayor. Yeah. <laughs> so didn't Charles say he found the ring as well? 
yeah, he might. It may be. We we have to see. But these rings are, are real. Apparently, this is this was a bit of an urban legend, but apparently, it's it's a true one. So you will get to the bottom of that, no doubt. <laughs> so you know, you started coming into the city. Um, you started linking up with us, and then of course, like obviously, the West Auckland and Central writers kind of we started forming our kind of bond, and we were painting together a lot. So like. Do you want to just talk a bit about what the landscape, like the graffiti landscape, looked like in Auckland around that time in like '99 when you were really starting to take photos, like really consistently and, and get to know everybody? And there wasn't much around, to be honest. Mm. Um, yeah, before I knew everyone, wow, like I, I don't even recall having a cell phone, to be honest. I don't think we had cell phones. I'm pretty sure. I think I got my first cell phone on my 21st birthday. So that would have been 99. Mm. But um, yeah, I used to, I used to call it my graffiti fearless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'd ask, <laughs> I'd ask the universe where they are today. And uh, yep. something would pop in my head and I'd head those ways. And sure enough, you'd find us. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Yeah. I, I remember there wasn't much art around the city. Not, well, there was heaps along the tracks, but mm. as far as productions around the city, I remember you guys did that that wall on K Road where mm -hmm. they're doing the um, Black Panthers wall now. Mm -hmm. Do you remember you guys hit that wall? It yeah, was we like had a, that. A space scene, and I was blown away with that wall, to be honest. I, I, I was really young. So that wall we did in 1998, and it was Quink who got the wall. Also on that wall was Charles um, Sub. Odyssey from FDKNS, uh, Misery, and myself. And I attempted to paint, like, my first really, like, full-on, like, 3D piece. You know, Truce had given me uh, a magazine, a compilation that he had kind of made of all of the best pages from, you know, um, Source Magazine and Hip Hop Connection and others, where he'd just taken the graph pages out and put them in a clear folder. And uh, he loaned it to me in uh, 97. And I was just like absolutely blown away by the stars. Maybe it was even 96, but he'd given, given this to me and I'd never seen anything like it. And it was a lot of like Hesh and Dime and Ernie from New York and people that were doing this 3D style at the time. And I was just like, whoa, you know. So I wanted to do something like that. I wanted it to look like concrete. You know, I painted lots of little cracks and rust and those texture. It was probably one of the first times I ever had my hands on you know, like decent paint that wasn't like, you know, plastic coat or something like that, you know. Um, but it was it was a big deal for me, you know, it was a terrible piece. Like, um, but I was very ambitious. I was trying to do something a bit more evolved, you know, than what I had been doing previously. I remember Charles just did a typical wild style piece on the wall, mm. didn't he? I can't yeah. even remember those pieces. Like, I don't know if anyone's got photos of that stuff. Yeah, I think so. I think I wrote... I, I, no, I didn't write it. Quink wrote it like something crazy, like like from the graffiti gods or something next to it. I was just like, oh my God, I was always so embarrassed. This tag was almost as big as my piece. It was like, I saw it the other day and I was like, oh my God, it's like, you know, it, it was a funny time, you know, like um, we were trying to get our first idea for a magazine off the ground, which was how I met him because he he wanted to make a magazine really badly. And so, and I knew how to use, 
Quinted, yeah, yeah. And he, he's the one who sort of planted the, those kind of seeds in my mind, you know, of like that we need a local graffiti magazine. And we sort of tried and failed and tried and failed. And then many years later, obviously, in 2002, you know, then we do the first Disrupt Mag. And you're already sitting on boxes of, you know, un, unprocessed films that, you know, you've been shooting, albums and albums of graffiti. And we got you your first um, digital camera to use, which was probably less megapixels than current current cell phones. Like probably less megapixels than a, a Nokia, you know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, you know, like, I mean, what do, you, what do you think about that kind of time period and everything that was kind of going on? I mean, we were all... Let's let's talk a little bit about Norwich Street, actually. Let's talk a little bit about that. All right. Okay. So you had this infamous house, right? One of only two houses on the street looking over Bass Park. It was kind of fallen over sideways. It had very aggressive rats that lived underneath the, the house. They used to come up through the kitchen, under the kitchen sink, and up through the cutlery drawer. Uh, and next door was a brothel, right? The Matador. The Matador. <laughs> right, so that's our neighbours, right? And um, and I ended up moving in with Johnny, Johnny Pest Five, and he came to Auckland to help us set up the magazine and run the events and do everything we're doing, make paint murals. And you remember him and I were living in one room together, two double beds in one room with yeah, barely a space. It wasn't the, that middle room the way you guys were in a big room, right? Yeah, we were in the big room at the front, but it was like I'm it sorry just for whoever got that little middle room, man. I think she I, got I did, that room. Yeah. I I ended up get, I was I had it after him. Oh, okay. No, I had it before him. Sorry, I had it before him. That's right. All right. So, so that room that looked out like at a wall, like the that window, was my the view first was... room. So I got wow. that house while I was working at GBK, mm. and one of my workmates was like, "Do you know anyone that um, needs a flat?" And I was like. Mm -hmm. Dude, I need a flat because I, I, I just got banded, and my mum mm. was like, "You, you got to get out. You can't, you know, yeah, right, out of here." So I was on the hunt, and next thing, this room pops up, but it's like, I don't know, what was that? One and a half meters by three meters or something? It was, <laughs> yeah, it was like barely a room. It was like a cupboard, and, and one window that looks out to a brick wall. <laughs> but yeah that was my room for i don't know a few months and then my two flatmates are like we're moving out like you can either move out or take over the lease and i'm like mm -hmm. oh, yeah i'm taking over the lease mm -hmm. and um i'm just trying to work out when you guys moved i know my brother was in there for a bit yeah 2000 2002 when johnny came up and we moved in i graduated okay. i graduated from that room to the other room after i kicked that guy Medi out Midi. of the house, who, who was a, just an absolute hot mess all the time. Now, so he had that tell, little room, right? He had that room. Now, you remember he nearly burnt the house down. Yeah, yeah. What and I had, and I had fifteen hundred spray cans in the living room for the hip hop summit. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah, went on some pack. bend. Yeah, he went on a bender for days, and he had left his uh, duvet in the washing machine, and it wasn't dry. And he'd come home after not sleeping for days. And he um, put his duvet on top of like one of those really sketchy old electric heaters. Yeah. And I woke up in the morning and I needed to make a phone call. I was searching for the for the, the home phone all through the house and couldn't find it. I thought, fuck, I wonder if it's in there. And I opened up Medi's uh, door and he was fast asleep with the phone in his hand. He'd fallen asleep talking to someone on the phone. 
and this uh, feather duvet was like glowing, like it was about to combust, like it was just moments away. I mean, we all would have been dead, all the paint would have exploded. You know, it would have happened on the first day of the, I think that was the 2000. And so, no, you know what? I must have been there earlier. I must have been there in like, let me think. This was, what year was it that Bates and uh, Ewok? I feel like that was 03. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Must be 03. So, that is. so it would have been the 2003 summit. And on the first day, it would have been all over the news that the, the stupid graffiti organizers had blown up their own house with all the spray paint in the middle because their, their, their meth head loser roommate was like on a bender. I kicked them out, remember? I told yeah, them, yeah. that's it, you're out of here. And then I, I was like, sweet, because I got to graduate up to the cupboard room that looked at the brick wall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another thing that was interesting about that time was that Pest Five used to pay the rent for uh, the room um, with his, his welfare money. And then we used to split what was left three ways between himself, Deirdre, and myself. That was, and we would, so we would have like 40 bucks each or something. And that's what we used to live on every week. It's crazy. It was a crazy time, man. <laughs> humble beginnings man yeah, do you yeah. remember do you remember the day that Susan Farrell from Art Crimes was in town yes. and we brought her over <laughs> yeah so, I remember that was the night um, I, oh man I'm getting getting lost now I feel like uh, Tua versus um, Lennox Lewis I, I think mm. No, 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 Tyson. Mm -hmm. Tyson versus Lewis. Yeah, it was. I almost want to Google it to get the right date, but I think that mm -hmm. was, yeah. And I was, me and my bro were drinking at home and he fell asleep. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I tried to wake him to go watch the fights, but uh, he didn't mm. wake up. So I went and watched the fights myself. Oh, is that what happened? That's why he was so mad? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so... I come home to a fucking boxing fight myself, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I get I get dinged up a bit. I I took four four good fucking hits. Excuse my language. <laughs> no, it's <that's> right. <laughs> um, but I had mellow puffs on my eyelids, and uh, mm -hmm. I completely forgot that Susan. You guys were bringing Susan around, mm -hmm. but um. I think I came outside because mm -hmm. I just had a a rumble with my bro, mm -hmm. and I managed to defuse the situation. I got him off me and on the ground, mm. and uh, it was a real dark time. Like mm. I don't like being chased out of my own house. No, so no. I, I went to the kitchen to get a knife, and I was like, oh, "Let's get out of the house." You know, that was yeah. me going, I'm not leaving my own house, you know. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I decided to walk out of the house and and that's when you guys pulled up. Yeah, but he but, was out in the rain doing Kung Fu. But he hadn't come out yet. So I oh, come out of the house okay. and you mm -hmm. guys pull up and mm -hmm. I realize what, what's going on. I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, excuse my yeah. language. I'm like, <laughs> that's right. They, they're coming here to look at my albums. Mm. And that's when he comes out, 
and I'm like, oh, here we go, round two, like in front of an audience. <laughs> and um, he goes straight out to the park and starts doing some some kung fu karts or something. I don't know what he was doing, but uh, that was the very first hour. I forgot it was raining. Was it raining? Yeah, it was raining. Yeah. <laughs> it was the maddest. I don't think he was wearing like all his clothes. Like I feel like he had his shirt off or something and he was outside in the rain doing kind of like Kung Fu. And we pulled up and we were like. <laughs> yeah, it was very, yeah, it was one of those times that that really affected our friendship. Mm-hmm. I love you, bro. <laughs> that, that, that was a, um, yeah, very uh, hard time in our life. Things it, was a, it, was, it was a surreal moment, but I think it speaks a lot to that time. And I think this is something that people have touched on in some of the interviews and in some of Bobby's uh, real-time web series, but they haven't gotten really deep with it. But, you know, um, you know that, that wave, that kind of 90, 99 through to sort of 2002 was kind of like, I think when, you know, meth really hit our city in a really big way too. And it was affecting our scene in a lot of ways, you know, and w- ways we didn't know how to kind of deal with, understand. Like, I, I was sober, you know, like through that time. I didn't drink or touch any type of drugs or anything from the age of 17 till 32, you know, and at 32, I started drinking again, you know, it's like felt like I was an adult could handle it, but they were really wild times. And, and I feel like very dysfunctional times, you know, and I think that there was a lot of mental health stuff going on, you know, people were losing their minds, you know, and I think that at that time there was a whole wave of really important graffiti writers and kind of hip hop personalities, musicians and stuff that we looked up to that all kind of dropped out of the game all of a sudden, very suddenly they all exited because life took over, you know, and then this is when we kind of step in and kind of take over a little bit, you know, which is something I don't think gets talked talked about or acknowledged enough, you know. Well, a wasted talent, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of amazing talent, amazing talent, you know, so at that time, you know, and we do have to acknowledge that the hip hop and the graffiti scenes were very, in our, our country at least, very like woven together, you know, those scenes. So you weren't just documenting, uh, you know, graffiti, but you're also going to all the MC battles and all the hip hop summits and the b-boy events. And you started to get to know like everybody really well, you know. I love hip hop, man. Um mm. I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll go back and talk about first hearing Abbott rap. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I've always really loved rapping, freestyling, mm. and mm. that dude was the man at freestyling. He was, um, that's for sure. I first heard him, I didn't know he rapped, like, I've known Jacob my whole life, like, we went mm. to primary school, he was three years older than me. Um, mm-hmm. The Abbott, for people that mm-hmm. don't know, MC Abbott, mm-hmm. he was the 2002 Battle for Supremacy champ. Um, but yeah, going back, he was he was like a bully man in school. <laughs> he loved the knuckle <laughs> game, and uh, I knew of Jacob because he was the big boy that like dealt the hidings. But um, mm-hmm. 
96, I was in his car. He had this Toyota FXGT, this little white FXGT. And uh, mm -hmm. he was playing me this tape. And I, I was familiar with the beat. It was um, Snoop's Vapors mm. beat, instrumental that he dropped. Mm. I think he dropped that in 96. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember going, Who, who's this rapping? And he mm. kind of just kind of smirked didn't say anything and I was I was kind of like whoa this is different mm -hmm. and before I got out of the car he was like oh it's me rapping and I was like oh shit mm. and uh I was I was honestly blown away I was like wow mm -hmm. about a year later we got pretty close by now and he'd um so he always he had always rapped with his uh his longtime friend that lived across the road um Jason Lawrence mm. fatal his his rap name was Fatal. So those guys have been rapping since 1989. Mm. I had no clue. But fast forward to 97, I'm in the car with them and, and Spookster, Spooky. Mm -hmm. Oh man, um, these are a lot of names I've been heard in a long time. Yeah. So those three started Sativa Souls. And mm. man, we're... There's this Badminton Hall in Massey and we'd just park up there and we'd, we'd blaze away and those three would just freestyle for hours. This was the the best shit I'd ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. I was just like, wow. And like, yeah, I don't know, it go for like two hours of these guys just freestyling. Mm -hmm. And that's where my love for freestyling came from, I guess, just hearing my boys do it. I've never really heard it anywhere else. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it's like something about a a, a good freestyle. Mm -hmm. um, you just can't beat that, you know what I mean? Do you remember just how magic that moment was, like when all of these battles started, you know, and the kind of the personalities that emerged and the way that it kind of, I mean, credit credit's a word perfect. You know, he's he's always been, you know, kind of a polarizing figure for a lot of people, but he, he had the vision to make something happen. I remember um, he'd get grilled for, for entering his own shows. I know. But it but it was like I think he did it because he wanted to he wanted to be part of that, you know, that energy. You know, he was good at freestyling too and he wanted to be part of it. And um I, I get that as somebody that was an organizer and obviously I took a, a back back seat eventually and stopped participating in my own events and everything and painting at them. But at first I you just want to be completely immersed in it. You know, you want to be part of it. It's a participatory kind of thing, hip hop. It's not something for the sidelines, you know, and um, I totally get it. But th think of all the people we saw come through those battles. I mean, you know, it's amazing. The first time I saw Mariko, you know. Was that at the factory, at the first battle for supremacy? Mm -hmm. The first battle for supremacy at the factory. And, uh, you know, I hadn't seen really kind of punchline driven battling like that i mean it was almost more like really savage kind of stand-up comedy i mean he was just so incredibly clever and so funny you know he, he would have to take huge pauses between lines because the the response from the crowd was just so loud that there was no point in kind of him him not doing it you know and just maintaining a continuous flow because it was just like you would just be like oh my god you know but but Abbott had that too, you know. He was up there. He was funny and he was quick. I got this funny story. So it was like two weeks before that battle. Mm -hmm. Um, what was it called? It was called the Lyricist Lounge that mm -hmm. someone had put on. It was 
I felt like it was at the factory as well. Because mm. um, where was that? That was like... Factory was on Lawn, Lawn Street. Lawn Street, Lawn yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, so at, at the factory a few weeks before, there's the Lyricist Lounge where it was just like an open mic. Mm-hmm. And you had everyone in there. You had like um, Damn Native, um, Decepticons, mm-hmm. Taz was in there. Mm-hmm. It was full of Southside. I remember that. And me, mm-hmm. Abbott, and Khan turn up. And we're horse. Like, I remember mm. not being as drunk as Abbott. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was no battling going on. Word Perfect was there. I think Word Perfect run the event. Mm-hmm. Um, next thing, Abbott gets the mic. And for mm-hmm. some reason, dislikes Taz. For some reason. <laughs> right. Him, but he doesn't like Taz. Mm-hmm. And he just goes off. And like, I honestly, I was feared for our, I feared for our lives, like straight up. Because <laughs> he just, he didn't hold back. And this is when mm-hmm. Abbott's in his prime, when he, he's on fire and he don't hold back. And he just like murdered Taz. And this started the, the beef between them two. And right. like, you know, th- there was just three of us. And there was like a whole room full of like Southside and, and Abbott's, you know, throwing up the, the West and saying all this bad stuff. And I'm like, we got to get out of here. But <laughs> Word Perfect recognized what was going on here. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks later, you know, we talk Abbott to enter the battle. We're like, bro, you got to enter this shit. And then Word Perfect matches them up in the first battle. It was awesome. I don't know if you remember and them battling. I do. And you documented all of this so you still have all of this on you have had a you know a, a, a camera and we're filming all of this no i didn't film not this like, one no nah. so that happened late so that happened later i know that shane shane um doubt he he filmed mm. he filmed that battle yeah so any footage of that battle thanks to him mm-hmm. um i had it on vhs and one of my mates borrowed it and never came back, so I actually don't have that battle. Love, mm. Like, I need to reach out to Shane. I'm sure he can uh, digitize it. Man, that yeah. dude's got some archives. Yeah, he, he really does. And he's actually sharing a lot of those archives recently on his Instagram. I was blown away when he started putting up the late night hype and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really was a fly on the wall for a lot of really important stuff. So he had a, a video camera early. Mm-hmm. Props to him, man. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, all the documentarians. I mean, now that we're kind of seeing the importance of that moment, it was easy to kind of underestimate what was going on and kind of um, think, who cares? You know, this little island in the bottom of the South Pacific, like, who cares? You know, we're not America. We're not the UK, you know? And um, it was, um, oh, are you there? Hang on, I think we're, I hear you back. Um, you know, so it was easy just to like underestimate, but it was, it was, sorry. That's all good. So it's 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 really fascinating now, you know, that um, we're kind of starting to look at all of this again with kind of fresh a fresh view and a fresh perspective and understand. Recently, you donated all of your negatives to the Auckland Library, and um, so so what's what's kind of going on there, like you know, and how did that all kind of happen? Um. So. All my negatives were in a leaky garage a couple of years mm. ago. I didn't realize. I thought they were under my bed somewhere, but uh, mm. 
cleaning up the garage, I, I come across them and um, had a bit of water damage. Mm. Luckily, nothing's you know seriously damaged. But uh, yeah, um, my partner works at the library. Space. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so thanks to her, um, she hooked that up. And and how uh, how did that conversation go? Like. You know, how did she sell that to them and say, hey, this is really important. Like, you know, this is a massive archive. And what, how did they receive that? Like what, you know, from your understanding? I don't know. I, like I wasn't there, but I, they were mm. keen. I know the mm -hmm. library were keen. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I pretty much donated my first six years of film photography, 35 millimeter film to the library. Mm -hmm. Um, it made sense to me. Like, it's probably not too safe in my hands. Right, right. Stored it in a leaky garage without mm -hmm. knowing. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it was like killing two birds with one stone. It, mm. it was also getting the whole archive scanned for our book, also. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was a win win. Yeah. And, and what does that mean for just kind of like in general, like I, I'm just sort of trying to understand. So like that means that it's there for kind of perpetuity, like anyone, can anyone from the public gain access and view things from the archive? Like, do you, do you know not, how not that yet. works? Not yet. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You wanna, you've got to ask for permission. Yeah. To view it. I'd like it um, accessible to anyone. One day, yeah. But I've I've got to go and name all the files. I got all the files mm -hmm. off them and then started working on this book. So I've got to go and um, yeah. name and date everything for them, mm. and then we'll put yeah. Well, um, it'll be available to everyone. I guess. That's that's amazing, and so that's part of. I mean, I probably should really have a chat with Faze, you know, like on one of these because that's part of a kind of general kind of project that she sort of had ongoing for god the last probably decade and a half right of kind of yeah archiving her and someone else um mm -hmm. did those scrapbooks yeah the hip -hop scrapbooks i remember taking photos for them for back to basics back in the day but i didn't know they existed until that day yeah like, who created these i didn't even know dina then i met her like years later yeah yeah uh, but yeah i think there's two scrapbooks yeah. Do you know about them? I, I've actually seen them in, in, in some form. It was a long time ago, right at the point that they were really busy working on them. But they contain, from my understanding, from my memory, just about every uh, newspaper article or sort of piece of media pertaining to kind of hip hop culture in our country, like since pretty much the beginning. I mean, it was a lot of amazing, amazing stuff there. It's a really fantastic thing. And so she's also worked a bit with Bobby as well. Like first also has a relationship with the library now. And yeah, yeah. So was that more like with the? Is that is that kind of more with? Um, obviously, he's been doing his his work. Um, you know, his PhD was sort of based around graffiti and street art and kind of implications for kind of education. Um, but also, he's been archiving a lot and doing the real time web series, which is you know. Obviously, his his podcast, so video podcast, uh, exploring more like people's uh, process, which you can watch real time, and then hearing them in their words talk about their history. And he fields all the questions 
from you know basically the audience you know he puts it out there through his channels in advance who he's going to feature and allows people to kind of ask what they want to ask of them which is, is really wonderful so is it is it the real-time web series that's part of the library archive now as well or is it is it something else he's given he's given them photos or do you know i don't have a clue sorry mm, mm. Uh, either way it's really cool i think it's really amazing that we're at a point now where and obviously that's you know credit to dino but that the library being that it's a, a council kind of owned you know thing entity is is uh understanding the validity of this art form and its place in, in auckland history because to me you know you can learn a lot about auckland history beyond the graffiti from looking at your photos because they really they capture a, t a very specific time and place yeah yeah i'm, I'm by the way with the landscape changing in my photos yeah What's some, some things that you can think of just off the top of your head that kind of really blow you away when you look now? Um, the top of um, Great North Road with um, Surrey Prisoners. I forgot there was a gas mm. station there. Mm, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember, I remember because I hid in a garage at the back of that gas station. I got chased by a, a big bunch of uh, gangsters from like further down, pretty much from right outside you know, like uh, down down the road further, you know, near Western Springs. Me and my friend Dylan was my best friend. We got chased and uh, hid and they were walking around. I could hear my heart beating in my ears. I was about 12 or 13 years old and terrified. So I remember that gas station well. <laughs> yeah. Um, just just certain buildings that aren't here anymore, I guess. Um, mm. It's funny, like I'll jump on Google Maps trying to locate the exact spot because um, it's been so long and mm -hmm. a lot of it comes down to memory. I'm like, oh, I yeah. can't remember where that is, but yeah, mm -hmm. I'll jump on Google Maps just to to make sure I get the right spot. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember trying to find that GI wall, um, Heatherbank Street. I was on Google yep. Maps for so long trying to find that wall. So yeah. I came through with, with um, the street name, thank God. That's like east side, that east side knowledge. <laughs> No, I think about it like you know, like because I, I feel I'm struck by it by this too, you know, like how much often has changed, um, and just seeing some of the faces, the recurring faces, and watching them, you know, like there's some people in some of these photos who are seriously young, you know, when you're looking at like that whole wave of kind of young Graylin graffiti writers, all the kind of Home Street crew, and kind of, you know prompt and and kind of all of them and zach and these kids they're like little baby faces there's photos of the tnc guys at one of the hip-hop summits and they all look about 12 or 13 probably older but some of them are small for their age it's pretty uh, wild love, you know yeah i love scanning the crowd um mm. the crowd in the photos and that, that first disrupt the system because yeah. um who were those there were some international b-boys that come over they were like two brothers yeah. who were they the, I, I forget what they were called but they're from los angeles and i guess like norm who brought them over i just seen them in your photos recently when i was looking through and i was like oh man i totally forgot about them yeah and the like the big circle there that yeah um you know around them man all the, all the i was seeing so many like baby faces in, in that crowd people you know now that you're yeah, like yeah. wow they were there it's it's yeah. unreal
Um, you know, um, there's a photo that stands out to me and it's from the first Disrupt the System. And it's, it's, it's from one of those impromptu circles that broke out in the square. And, you know, obviously later on, we got a little bit more professional about accommodating these circles, having, uh, you know, a stage arise with like Lino and stuff for people to dance. But early on, they were dancing just on the raw concrete. And there's a really fantastic photo you took. It says a lot about what our hip hop scene looked like at that point compared to now, where um, there's a guy, he's got dreads. He's wearing like a one love kind of like Rastafarian, like with a lion tie dyed hoodie, a pair of stonewashed jeans. And I can't remember for the life of me if he's barefoot, but I have a feeling he has no shoes on and he's doing a head spin on the raw concrete like in front of the crowd. I think I know what, what he's got like overalls on, doesn't he? Maybe he's got overalls. You're right. You're right. Yeah, and yeah. and I think, I think about that time, there was no real uniformity, you know, as in like people didn't look hip hop, you know what I mean? Like they were, you know, they just were and they're kind of being in the way that they kind of like rolled, you know, and their kind of ability to kind of improvise. But, like I sort of fast forward to like the 2004 summit, you and I were up on the roof of the Altair Center looking down. And you remember that was, maybe it was 2005. It was a year where the big fight broke out, you know, and Wayne was there and it was very windy. You know, we had to take the turntables inside because they blew over at one point. And so there was no music outside and it was a very strange atmosphere, very tense. You and I were up on the roof and I, I brought up that photo, that particular photo, and I said, look at everybody. I said, it's a sea of people in a hip-hop uniform. Everybody had their, you know, oversized, like, new era hat on, their extra tall tee, and their, you know, white-on-white, -white, like, Air Force Ones. It's like they'd all gone to the same store and bought the same look. And it's like, you know, they didn't appreciate the summit anymore. It was something that they took for granted. You know, they had become, I felt, and I said on the day that I felt that they had become spoiled, you know, that the magic was kind of gone because they kind of took it as a given. They expected that this would happen and we would do it for them. And everybody was there posturing and fighting and tensing I, each other I missed out. that fight, but I, I saw mm -hmm. the aftermath of it, but I, yeah, I actually missed that fight. It actually was really brutal. Like, it was a big mob of kids fighting against each other and the Altair... Um, center had made the mistake of um, allowing the, the Altair markets to, to stay on uh, at the same time. And so there was a junk store there, which was run actually by Jamie Robertson's um, mother was her, her store. And uh, a kid got like a sickle and a, another kid got a gardening scythe or something, you know, like really old school tools. So blades though, basically, and was like flinging around, like gashed, like a kid quite bad. And another kid that year got, got hit in the face outside, loaded uh, with a hammer that they'd stolen from a shipping container uh, where some, there'd been some work going on in the square, at Altair Square. And um, one of the work, they were storing their tools there overnight and one of the workmen had left his, his, the shipping container unlocked and a kid got in and got a hammer and took it down outside, loaded and was standing over people for their paint when they were buying paint. And hit some kid and hit some kid in the face for his paint. And I know this is true because this kid, I've I've had contact with him on Instagram uh, in the years after that. You know, he said I was that kid. 
And uh, it's wild to me because that was a point like, you know, you, you remember the, the, the just the extreme positivity of these events in the beginning, you know, people were just so grateful. You know, the energy was really good. There was no fighting, you know, contrary to what everybody thought there was going to be, you know, more graffiti and more violence in the city. If we, if we put these events on and it would sort of always be way less because people were grateful to have something kind of catering to them and their interests, you know? Um, but at a point the energy just, just changed, you know, I think, I think that was a weird time, you know, I think that was like, there was a definite an end of an era, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I, for me, like, I felt like graffiti changed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Around the time my daughter was born in 06, it was kind of mm-hmm. when I felt like the, the artwork wasn't really doing it for me anymore. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. weird. What 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 particularly was it like? What do you you know? I just felt what like shifted, it changed. You think? Like mm. pieces changed. Pieces were getting more simple. Mm. Um, I don't know. I just felt like it changed, and I, it wasn't me anymore. Mm-hmm. It's kind of when I stopped. I stopped documenting. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And where did what did you do instead? Like, where did your energy kind of go from there? I kept shooting. I kept taking mm. photos, but I just kind of, I, I think that was where my daughter was born. I was just like, couldn't afford to just run around documenting mm. anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I, I tapped out. <laughs> yeah. Did you, I mean, you started though, I mean, you weren't shooting hundreds of photos anymore, but the quality certainly changed because you obviously you started shooting a medium format. That's a big change that happened. Yeah, so that happened in '04. So mm. when did Disrupt start? 2002. 2002. So our run was like 2002 till 2006. It was it was four years. It seems like a lifetime, but it was yeah, it was yeah. actually a very short period of time. Um, sometime in 04, the scene hit me mm. up. Um, he had started Back to Basics in Welly, mm-hmm. a free magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had a, a, a plan to move to Auckland and set up um, Back to Basics magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, hit me up to see if I would be the photographer. I was down. I was like, yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Thanks for thinking of me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I remember there was a bit of conflict between Disrupt and, and Back to Basics. Like, you know, I was like, please don't fight. <laughs> I'll have to walk away. Well, I think I think it, it was dealt with very quickly. And I think because Sen being a very diplomatic person, you know, he was, he's extremely diplomatic. And um, I, I think what we felt at the time was there was a little bit of a, um, it, it was a, it was, it was, a, it was hard to publish a magazine and, it, and we were competing for advertisers. And we were the graffiti magazine. We didn't cover hip hop generally, but we used to include a free CD with music. Um, but we weren't really trying to be a hip hop magazine, you know, as such. But we kind of were worried, I guess, but back to basics, definitely wanted to include graffiti as well. And the compromise was that he basically extended an invitation for me to kind of curate the graffiti section of the magazine. 
Um, so I used to kind of facilitate that for him and, and it was good. And as it happened, I mean, Disrupt Magazine didn't really kind of stick around for much longer at that point anyway, because you know, we got ripped off uh, by our distributor in Australia and lost basically our profit, uh, the first profit we were going to make. So we, we just kind of decided it was a good tidy time to kind of end it, you know. But yeah, there wasn't a huge amount of overlap in the end. You know, it wasn't as big a deal as maybe everybody thought early on. You know. Yeah, um, that's how I got my Bronica. So I mm. remember going to a, a camera shop up on Queen Street. Mm-hmm. More the up, the other end up. Um, yep. Near the town hall, just up from the town yeah. hall. Oh there yeah, was there was there was a. There was. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where the Bronica came from. I think Sen spent like four Gs on the camera and the setup and everything. Damn. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize. And thinking about it now, like, you probably would have been better off getting a digital camera. I don't know. Yeah. But I feel like the film side of things, like, drove that magazine to the ground, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Straight up, like we shot a lot of film, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm thankful for it. I've got some numbers here somewhere. Um, mm. So, in 2004, I shot 87 rolls of 120 millimeter film. Wow. So, 1,305 photos. Wow. I had no idea. That's, yeah. That's crazy. We, we only, like, the magazine only ran for eight months of the year, mm-hmm. I think. We, yeah. We printed three issues. The fourth issue didn't go to print. Mm-hmm. Like we shot it. That was probably yeah. some of the best content too. Who who did you shoot um, over the course of that time? That was that Boogie Blind shoot. Mm. That you just Blind. published recently? Yeah. Yep. Um, RES. Mm. I did the RES photo shoot. Fast Crew were on the cover of that issue. Really? <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I shot them in York Street. In a Lamborghini, mm. in a yellow Lamborghini. <laughs> but uh, we were looking at putting um, Scribe and Marico and like um, high vis and like work boots and stuff, like working on the street, kind of like roadworks mm-hmm. and stuff. But that never happened. But we were looking at doing that for the cover. I remember I was a bit excited about doing that shoot. Yeah, that would have been great. Um, Tyner and JB were supposed to be in that issue. Mm-hmm. Man. Alfrisk. I did a cool shoot with Alfrisk. Mm-hmm. I can't really think of much else, sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So does, like as part of your kind of um, project and kind of archiving all of this stuff, has have, have those photos become part of the archive no. as well in the library or just just your graffiti stuff just the graffiti so just from 98 to 03 um mm. it's roughly 240 rolls of 35 yep. millimeter it's just under six thousand photos that the library wow. scanned wow but now i have my foot in the door mm-hmm. i'm gonna get i'm gonna get all the back to basics so i think we lost all the photo like I've got all the negatives here. Yeah. But everything that got scanned, mm. I think we don't have it. Like, I don't have it. So it has to be rescanned. Yeah. 
Okay. I think they lost yeah. all, all of that stuff off the computers and stuff. Um, right. So yeah, I got I got eighty seven rolls there that I need to get scanned. Um, it's a funny story about that camera. I I remember shooting some some photos of Ruby when she was born, mm. but not much else. And I think a year later I lent it to Brendan Cost. Mm-hmm. Yep. He asked if he could borrow it, and I was I was happy for him to borrow because it, it was just sitting there. Mm-hmm. Gaining dust, but um, yeah. I lent it out for nine years. Damn, really? Wow! Like it, it didn't come back to me for nine years. So you only just started shooting with it well, again, like not that long ago. 2016, uh, Pucks hit me up to shoot his wedding, mm-hmm. and I was like, ah, oh, you know, I hate weddings and stuff. But then yeah. the light bulb went off in, off in my head, and I was like, get your Bronica back. Yeah, the wedding on the Bronica, and mm-hmm. so yeah, I got it back and completely forgot how to shoot on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, since 2016, I'm I'm up to 120 rolls on that. Wow, which amazing! Is 1800 photos, pretty much. Nice, nice. And um, that, you, so, sorry, all of that is scanned from 2016 to present has been scanned. So. It's just that back to basics eighty seven rolls that I need to yeah I need to get scanned and then pretty much my life of film is is archived. What's really interesting is the kind of in that gap, that nine year gap, people aged, you know, and the photos that you have now, you know, uh you know, the ones that you have scanned and are on your Instagram, they're like you've caught up with people way after the fact, you know, they've, they've kind of moved on, you know, and people are doing different things and it's really interesting to see, you know, like people look, um, there's, there's a certain kind of, I guess the word I would use is regal, you know, when I see a portrait of like Bryson from Damn Native or someone like that, and you haven't seen them for years, you know, uh, out and sort of making music publicly the way that they were, you know, I know that they are musicians through and through, but it's really cool to kind of see them and, and, and see those changes, you know, and, and it's the same with doing this. It's kind of like catching up with everybody now. And I don't know if we could have done this at the height, you know, if you couldn't have done this back in, in the 2000s, early 2000s, if you couldn't have had a conversation with people without the perspective and the growth and the time, you know what I mean? And it's, but it's been really nice having these conversations with people who are older and more relaxed and have a really um, mature perspective and outlook and see themselves differently in the scheme of things because they're not necessarily sort of in the thick of it. You know, it's it's been it's been really cool. You know what I mean? I think that's that's a big power of you know having these conversations and of course of doing what you do, documenting and documenting over a vast time frame catching up with the same people Weird. Mm-hmm. so what's um what's kind of the future hold for you like are you feeling now with this tmd show and i think through this time we've kind of really all reconnected in a, in a different way you know after years of everybody kind of going off and doing their own projects do you feel that kind of synergy again do you feel that energy yeah it is different everyone's all growing mm-hmm. up now and more responsible I'm interested mm-hmm. to see what pops off down there. Yeah. Like, you know, I remember me and Adam and Chevy last time in 03 sleeping in his <laughs> car. Yeah. Man, we got up to some mischief. Yeah. Some of those trips I, were crazy. 
Yeah, I don't think yeah. that'll be happening again. But man, we had some fun, even though like yeah. I wake up with smelly feet in my face. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Uh, yeah, I remember that. I think it was the trip to Whanganui. That was the, the the infamous one where we were all staying at the Marae. And I think that was the infamous trip where you guys were really up to a lot of mischief. Where, where was that? Went to Whanganui. All I remember is um, getting woken up in the middle of the night and and, uh, and 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 ADT was like, shoved somebody else's inhaler in my mouth and then just disappeared into the darkness, never to be seen again. I, it was just a real random thing, but you guys were definitely, I think you were there like, there were a bunch of people, Taina and like Cyphernetic and all sorts of people were there. It was like some hip hop thing and everybody was just like going crazy, getting up to all sorts of mischief. I feel like that was the same trip. I don't know. I might be getting my wires crossed, but yeah, it was a funny time. There were lots of trips. I remember mm. we, um, in broad daylight, me and ADT went and hit, hit a train. Mm. We had some of the Wally and- boys in the car with us and they were like... You guys went to Upper Hut, right? Yeah, yeah. And we had to scale like three six foot fences and with barbed wire and shit. And um, but yeah, we did it broad daylight. I went with him and took photos of him. And the boys, oh, yeah. the rally boys in the car, were like, "What the hell?" Yeah, yeah. But he's on another level, you know. That's that that trip. What you're talking about is when we actually painted the front of the Dallas Museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in so what was that? There was oh three, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, that was amazing. That was a cool time. Shout out to Spex for um, cooking some mean scrambled eggs that I threw up. Oh. <laughs> they, cooked Class. Us, they cooked us breakfast and, uh, yeah, unfortunately it didn't stay in me. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to going down there on this trip and um, hopefully seeing some of them. I hope they come out of the woodworks and come through, you know, like things got a little fractured between the Auckland Wally scene. Yeah. And that's, that's a long time ago. That's, you know, we're talking about rifts that happened in 2005, 2006 that are completely irrelevant now, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Respect to my Wally peeps. See mm-hmm. you all soon. Yeah. I think, I think, respect. Yeah, Spex has always been the um, the peacekeeper, you know. Yeah. Mhm. Awesome. So yeah, um, well, I think that's a good place to wrap this up. Um, I just want to say, man, it's uh, and I and I kind of I make a habit of doing this, but I really, you know, like to extend like a lot of gratitude to all the people who have been coming on here and talking because. You know, with the perspective that we have now and looking back, you know, you can really see the value of everyone's contributions, you know, and your contribution as a photographer at a very important time and having the vision, even if it was accidental, you know, wasn't like, you know, having the foresight to do what you did has put us in a position where we can do what we're doing now and people are seeing the value in it. You know what I mean? And we, we created a lot of media around what you were up to. We made a magazine that put New Zealand on the map, you know, and that's because, you know, we had that archive to work from and had you out there shooting photos and documenting, you know, and uh, man, I just want to say, I just think it's, it's hugely important, hugely significant, you know, it's why I'm really stoked to be seeing your stuff along with Raymond's and in, in the museum. And I'm really excited when we get this book out that we're working on to have that out there in some published form for people around the world to have and to really 
soak it in and kind of understand the kind of the nuances and complexities of our little scene here in Aotearoa. Word. Yeah, bro. Awesome. Well, I guess I'll be seeing you in the next few days when we head down and do the setup. Yeah, for sure. And thanks, thanks again. No, nah, man. And thanks again for the zine. People are asking where they can get it if it'll be online. For now, this is just available exclusively through the DAOs, right? People were trying to get there. That's why I wanted it in your hands. I was like, oh. Yeah, man. I appreciate it, bro. I really appreciate it. So let's, you know, maybe people can reach out to the DAOs Museum and uh, see if they can sell this thing out. That'd be fantastic. Everything I have in, in the show, I'll probably, like, reproduce later. And mm -hmm. friends and fans can get it if they don't make it down. Yeah, for sure. But for yeah. now, let's let's try and direct them to the museum and make this make this a success. Word. Awesome, bro. Thank you so much, bro. And enjoy Thank your day. Thank you. Peace. Take care, man. See you. Yeah.